You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus, starting at $3 a month. Get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shout-outs, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SEC. Back this week, co-host Will Miles. Find him at ReadReaction.com, ReadReaction YouTube, and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Well, good to get you back in the fold here. Spring practice about halfway over for the Gators. And look, Mike Peterson was speaking to the media tonight. Usually Billy Napier on Tuesdays, but he's going to speak after the first scrimmage on Thursday night. So, hey, we had to come up with an episode pretty quick here. So, uh, they, the, you know, Gators Breakdown Plus members, that they brought it, Will, with a, a Q&A episode here. But uh, uh, spring practice about halfway through. Starting to learn a little bit about Billy Napier and this team. Yeah, I mean, we're starting to learn that they probably don't have enough tight ends. I think it's one of the <laughs> things that we're learning. Um, I don't think we got one question about tight ends. No, I'm lying there. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, it, it's funny. This is one of those things that always happens when you have the transition year. I mean, if, if we all remember when uh, Will Muschamp was let go and Jim McElwain came in, didn't have enough offensive linemen, and, uh, you know, sort of that fiasco during the spring practice. And It's just good to have spring football back, right? It's been a long time since we've had a spring game. It's been a long time since we've had – um, this level of information, I think, you know, the the media in particular, the local media has has lauded Napier for the amount of access that he's given. Now we'll see whether that translates into information that's usable or whether that translates into information he wants to release, which I, I imagine is going to be more the latter than the former. But, you know, at the same time, it's fun to see these guys, fun to see the videos, fun to see football going again and fun to see all the energy within the program, particularly with all the, the tweets around recruits and those sorts of things as well. So, um yeah, I, I think the jury's still out, obviously. I think we said that at the end of National Signing Day, and we're going to say that at the end of spring practice. Like, you haven't proven anything yet, and that's one of the things that I think sort of makes it fun. Um, but we have hope that we're going to see that, and that was something that was really kind of in short supply there at the end of 2021. And so, uh, you know, it's exciting to go into a new a new era of Gator football, and this is sort of the start of it, right? This is, you know, you talk about the identity and all that sort of stuff with the weightlifting and things like that. That's so... That's so uh, um, 
I guess, esoteric when it comes to like the type of stuff you're, you look at as a football fan. Now we get to see Lorenzo Lingard, like run through, you know, blocking (laughs) dummies and we get to see offensive linemen and, you know, see how they do in, in one-on-one drills though. You know, you can't tell anything because you never know whether if the offensive line does well, it's because the defensive linemen are bad or vice versa. So, uh, you know, but it's as close as we get to football till the fall. So, uh, you know, got to glean what we can from it and sort of understand where the program is. And that's, that's sort of what tonight's all about. Talk to, to at least look at the questions that the people that, that listen to us are, are asking and see if we can give a better answer than maybe some of the other people out there. Yep. So Gators Breakdown Plus members, I, I shot it out to them this morning. Hey, we're going to do a Q&A episode tonight. And boy, did we get some responses there. So Huge shout out to Gators Breakdown Plus members for coming through with all the questions here. You know, just one perk of uh, being a Gators Breakdown Plus member, uh, I'll get you to, to, to get the questions here uh, for this episode of Gators Breakdown. Remember, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. If you're watching on YouTube, a lot of you watching live right now, thank you so much for hopping on here when we are live here on Gators Breakdown. And check us out at the home of Gators Breakdown, news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. All right, so we're going to kind of do rapid fire because we got plenty of questions. We'll try and get to them all here uh, on this episode of Gators Breakdown. We'll start with Stephen Wingo, and of course, we'll start with what Will started with because that is the big storyline the last couple of days here of spring practice. Stephen Wingo asks, "We seem to be thin at tight end compared to the personnel Napier purportedly favors, often using two tight end sets, one leaning towards blocking as their strength, the other faster, more agile, who can excel a little more in the passing game." What difference might we expect to see in his offense this fall if Napier has to lean on other personnel groupings than normal? Two back sets, three or more wideouts, et cetera. How will the lack of numbers and or good fits for the offense at the tight end position affect the bread and butter outside zone plays? So, Will, this does go back a little bit to our episode a few weeks ago when we kind of detailed Billy Napier's offense, how much he likes the tight ends. Those guys, there'll be two tight ends on the field a lot. Those guys will motion uh, as a blocker. There'll be one as an inline blocker. The one that can be considered more of the H-back, you know, he, he'll, he'll be the one that can come across a formation, lay a block or whatever. But now we are looking at Nick Elksness, who was probably the standout at the tight end position, the standout at the tight end position so far this spring, uh, going to miss the rest of spring. Hopefully we hear from Billy Napier on Thursday about him and Jonathan Odom, two tight ends right now that Florida will not have for the rest of spring practice. Uh, Gage Wilcox has been nowhere to be seen uh, the last couple weeks of practice as well. So will a position we thought was pretty deep going into spring practice. Florida's already um, now down three, uh, three guys, uh, and now <laughs> you're moving guys from different positions who either have not played tight end uh, before. Griffin McDowell now has shifted to tight end. You have uh, Dante Zanders shifting to tight end right now to go along with Keon Zipperer. Not ideal for position. Billy Napier, as you know, Stephen says, really likes to lean on here uh, is what history shows. So, yeah, Will, I mean, this does beg the question, how much does this affect what Billy Napier wants to install for his offense uh, this spring? How What effect does that have for the rest of this spring? And now those guys coming in the fall won't, or won't, won't be so far behind now, Will. I mean, they'll be – only really just a couple of weeks from just a couple of guys we were really trying to probably think we would count on in the fall. Yeah. I mean, so I think there's a couple of things here. 
Odom and, and Elksness are out right now. You've got Odom with a torn labor and you get Elksness breaking his scapula, but it's five months till the season starts. And so I think when we talk about how Billy Napier is going to adjust, I think this would be a lot more devastating if these injuries had occurred in August, because then you know those guys are going to be out the vast majority of the season and you can't necessarily prepare. I don't know if this is going to change all that much for what he's doing. I think what it what it means is he'll have a little bit of backup in the guys who are moving there right now. I think guys like Tony Livingston, Hayden Hansen, and Arliss Boardingham are going to have to really get get with the program when they come in here in, in the fall and really start, you know, getting reps at those positions because all of a sudden you'll now have some some uh, some numbers at the tight end position when those guys come in. Certainly getting Gage Wilcox back would be good, uh, but Keon Zipper, I think, was probably going to be the starter from, from, the, from the jump. And so if you look at that, you say, okay, you're really missing one starter. And can you fill that position so that everyone else can learn the scheme so that when the next, so that when the more experienced guy or the more skilled guy comes back, you can plug him in and it's basically plug and play. I think that's kind of probably the thought process right now. It's not ideal to be moving a bunch of guys off the defensive line to tight end, certainly, yeah. um, especially since those aren't <laughs> the defensive line is also an area of concern. Um, but I don't think I don't think Napier's so there's there's two things. Is Napier is about process, right? He doesn't tend to I don't think he's going to be somebody who like panics when something like this goes on i think he's going to say hey this is part of the growing pains but i'm not changing my offense because here's the reality if florida comes out of the gate and struggles in 2022 that's not going to define the billy napier era billy napier era if florida is still if florida has made adjustments and band-aids to the scheme in 2022 and then still doesn't have it down by 2023 that's when you're going to start to have problems because you know it'll be sort of this mishmash of different things so i don't think he's going to change his approach all that much i think he's going to put people in there as bodies right now and then hope that he gets these guys back in the fall hope that the freshmen who come in can contribute and then hope that maybe some of these guys show something at tight end while they're in there because it's not as though dante zanders or or noah keeter or these guys that they've moved that they're moving over to tight end have really been getting a ton of playing time right on the defensive side of the ball and so you know if you have the opportunity these guys have an opportunity now and and you know we'll see what ends up happening as as they move forward but um, the other thing is is that they, they were going to lose a couple of guys off the roster anyway way so you know the the question then becomes are these is this sort of a hint as to maybe who might be who might be um wedged out if there's a scholarship crunch at the end um that might be part of it as well uh gage from the gators breakdown plus discord jokes will that you know does this change napier's offense to 99 percent run instead of pass since we have no tight ends and no wide receivers so <laughs> that's uh, uh the, uh, well you know something that you, you and i discussed kind of going back to that just a second um you know maybe two back sets you know it's something we had kind of wanted to see previously uh, under the staff we know how deep this running back room is and the talent that they have there that's something we see because of this is that is that, is that an effect uh as uh, you know something uh there and then kind of bringing up gage's point here of you know no tight ends maybe no wide receivers you know when uh, this is something uh that has been brought up on the, the getter right now plus discord i've seen it vaguely a little bit on, on twitter as well i brought it up to you too naquan wright comes back uh in, in the fall behind Lingard, behind Bowman, behind Johnson. Is Florida still struggling at receiver? Could we, you know, we always wonder, hey, can Malik Davis play the slot position in last year's offense? Well, right now, if Florida's still struggling to find a receiver, Florida's still struggling to find a a slot receiver behind Trent Whittemore, and if if he can stay healthy, you get Nequan right some reps at that slot. Not saying a complete move there or whatever, but we've seen in the past some Florida running backs under Dan Mullen 
go out there, play wide, play, play as a receiver. Naquan Wright has shown the ability to have some wiggle, get get open uh, in, in the passing game some as well. So, you know, if we start tinkering with, with the offense a bit, you know, are, are those some of the outcomes uh, we could see? Yeah, I mean, I think the hope is, yeah, that you find something from these injuries and say, hey, we're going to make some adjustments. The one adjustment, I think, instead of seeing somebody split out in the slot, I think it's more likely that maybe what they do is have a second back in that H-back position, right? Or especially have the second back in that H-back position when it comes to running routes and getting out into the – getting out, getting downfield and getting that guy on a linebacker. And maybe you find something, right? You say, hey, look, Demarcus Bowman's really good out of the backfield catching it or, or you know – someone back there is is a better runner than a pa- than a pass catcher and somebody's a better pass catcher than a runner and you can utilize having both guys back there. I think the reality is it doesn't do you any good to have four good running backs and then struggle at all these other positions. So certainly if you can move somebody out there and and get a benefit, but I think we got to be careful with that because at the end yeah. of the day the reality is these guys have been running backs their entire career. You move them back out, you move them out there and you're asking them to do something they have not been trained to do. And so in a big spot, do you want that guy in the slot or do you want the guy who maybe is a little bit less polished but has been a wide receiver his entire life in the slot? And then it's always a question of compared to what, right? So we look at a receiver like Justin Shorter and say, okay, he hasn't shown a ton of explosiveness, but compared to what? If you put him next to Naquan Wright out there on the outside or in in the slot even – I think you'd say Justin Shorter is a better player. I think you're probably going to find that as you go down the roster, right? That that you take a guy who's a running back has a lot of skills. You put him on a on a on a linebacker. Yeah, he can get open. He can show wiggle. What happens when you put him out there and he's got a corner mm-hmm. or safety on him? Well, now all of a sudden it's a completely different scenario. We saw this a few years ago with Mullen when he would when he would motion out with Michael Pirine and and Kyle Pitts, and all of a sudden now you've got Pitts and Pirine out there. And if the defense had too many linebackers on the field, somebody had to guard one of those guys with a linebacker, and it was just like shooting fish in a barrel for Kyle Trask. He, whichever guy got covered by the linebacker is the guy who got the ball. If you got defensive backs on a, on a running back out wide, I think you might find that the pass catching skills are less than what they are when they're when they're running a wheel route against Georgia. So, um, you know, it's uh, I, I think you got to be really careful about that. I, I think you're probably better off teaching the guys, getting them extra reps at those positions, making sure that you're comfortable with who you've got, and then trying to get through the season with minimal injuries than you are trying to have somebody be a half half back and a half wide receiver. I agree. Uh, there's a lot of, hey, just switch positions for some guy who maybe not be working out at one spot. You know what? That's uh, <laughs> sounds good on the surface. It's not uh, always, always that simple uh, there. So, all right, let's keep on moving here so we can get these questions in here. Double D uh, on the uh, Gators Breakdown Plus Discord says, given the lack of proven depth on the defensive line, if the offensive line is pushing people around in the spring game, will you feel better about the development of the offensive line or worse about the potential of the defensive line. Look, I said a couple weeks ago, heading into spring practice, I felt better about the offensive line than I did the defensive line, so I would somewhat expect it. You got four to five positions there uh, that we could really identify going into spring practice, garage at left, tackle, wide at left, guard, Aguacon at center, Rashad, um, Osiris Torrance. I keep calling him Rashad Torrance for some reason. Did it last episode too. Osiris Torrance at right guard. And now Michael Tarquin has, is, is kind of proven that he may be the right tackle through the first half of spring practice. So Florida much more experienced up front along the offensive line. You, know, you guys know my biggest worry for this team was that defensive line. Who's going to help Gervon Dexter? Uh, Gervon Dexter there in the middle. We're finding out Pritchley 
you know, Eamon Meeland can probably be one of those guys at the, the down defensive end, uh, but we still need some help up front in the middle. So, no, I, I, I still say if the offensive line goes out there and pushes this defensive line around a bit, about what I expect at this point, given Billy Napier's offense, given Billy Napier and what he was able to do at Louisiana, and given the talent he has to work with, I won't necessarily feel, you know, it's about what I expect. Hopefully, by the time spring practice or ball camp rolls around, we start getting some names there at defensive tackle, and those guys come out there and, and start proving themselves. Uh, but, Will, for me at least, the offensive line pushing around the defensive line is about what I expect right now. That's a really good non-answer in terms of what would you think it's because one's worse or one's better. I, I like that. But uh hey, look, that's I'm, the beauty of spring ball too. If one if if one position group's doing good, is it does it automatically mean that other position group is bad? Yeah, I mean you hope not. You hope just you know, it's the good outweighs the bad. Yeah, I mean, look, this is why we lie to each other every April about what's actually going on because <laughs> none of us really has a clue. But I would say I, I think I kind of echo your sentiment, but for a little bit different reason. If the offensive line is pushing around the defense, I mean, Florida's defense was awful against the run last year. And so you know, I think they were like 85th in yards per play. The defense is actually pretty good other than the run defense. And so if you start looking at a place for them to improve, it's going to be against the run. But I wouldn't be surprised if that hasn't happened yet. Right. And so yeah, right. the often yeah. and, and again, you, you sort of mentioned and, you know, I've, I've been critical of right tackle and right guard. And that's sort of an area where I'm concerned about. But you mentioned the three guys on the left or the two guys on the left in the center are all coming back and have experience and some continuity. So you'd expect them very early on to be able to sort of announce their their presence of authority when the only guys coming back on the defensive line are really Dexter and uh, and Cox. Right. The other thing is, is that Florida's defensive line or defensive recruiting has been heavily tilted toward Bucks and less so to the true defensive end. So, you know, Human Meelan may be getting the um, sort of Zachary Carter type um, hold the edge defensive end position, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's strong enough to do that yet um, or that he's going to be as good as Carter was at it. And as much as they struggled against the run last year, now you're coming in with defensive ends who don't have the same size as Carter mm -hmm. saying, hey, hold that edge. Again, I, I don't know that I'd be all that surprised. So, yeah, I think I'd probably be more concerned if the offensive line is getting dominated than I would be if the defensive line is getting dominated. Again, with the caveat that this means nothing and, yeah. and, we, and we really have no idea because you don't know whether one's good or bad. But because the defensive line was bad last year and because the defensive line has lost some key contributors last year who really probably propped them up a little bit, I think probably if the offensive line is not dominating, I'd be a little bit more concerned. Sounds good. There we go. Now from Bubba on the Gators Breakdown Plus Discord. How do the freshmen look so far? Anything on McClellan, Kamari, Devin, Moore? Uh, hearing good things about McClellan as we speak about the defensive line from the previous question. Uh, as there's, we said, there's been nobody that really has jumped out yet to really help uh, Drivon Dexter there in the middle. So that might be McClellan who gets more reps as a true freshman as he goes through as an early enrollee uh, of spring practice right here. And, uh, look, I mean, you're looking for Jalen Lee, Jalen Humphreys to jump out, Desmond Watson, maybe at some points, but, you know, fatigue, he's got to get that in shape to be able to stay on the field uh, a bit more. I do think he gets more reps. I think he has probably proven a little bit to, to be on the field a little more, but can he stay on the field is uh, the big question there. Uh, Kamari Wilson has not taken part in spring practice so far that the media has been able to see. So unless it's been in the closed portions, uh, and, and or limited, then 
nothing much from him. Devin Moore has shown some flashes, shown some nice things uh, back there as an early enrollee as well, uh, getting into that, uh, that, 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 that battle back there in the secondary. Uh, but really McClellan uh, has been the name from kind of asking around, looking around uh, at different reports as well as McClellan being uh, the, the biggest standout so far for these early enrollees. Well, I think that's good news, right? Because yes. you, you, there's a lot of depth at safety. There's a lot of depth at corner. And so if you had guys like Mark Wilson, Devin Moore, like playing major roles in the spring as early enrollees, that'd probably be a giant red flag that we got <laughs> something going on that, that we don't want going on because the safeties and the defensive backs or the safeties in the corner should be pretty set. I would think, especially with, with Kimber coming in as a transfer, you would expect that they've, <laughs> that both corner spots are pretty much locked down. And then you got some battles with the guys who are, who are going to play that nickel back or even at the safety position. Yeah. Um, you know, the fact that McClellan, we're hearing stuff about him does mean that he's getting into that rotation in some capacity. Now, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't necessarily yeah. know. Right. Because <laughs> he's making it into the rotation because they, need somebody to step up but like you said we haven't necessarily heard anything that it's like this massive improvement when he gets in there or anything like that so you did see something the other day about desmond watson and the amount of weight he's lost and also the amount of weight he's been bench pressing so you know you think about it it's it's funny maybe three four years ago i read something about kirby smart moving away from having a really large defensive tackle set um because he was more interested in having speed and those sorts of things and then last year you look at it and he's got jordan davis obviously a fast guy but but a big dude right up there up front and so it turns out that you sort of put the guys up there who can dominate regardless and uh you know so desmond watson i think sort of fits that mold and we'll see he he's the one who i think really can change the way the defense looks right if he can command a double team then that changes everything yeah and if he can push the if he can push the pocket back into the quarterback that changes everything Say what you will about Gravon Dexter, but there were not a lot of times when he was like just taking a center and pushing him back into the quarterback. And we really need a defensive tackle who can do that. So whether it's McClellan, whether it's whether it's Watson, or whether it's Dexter, I mean somebody's going to have to do that. And um, yeah, so again, I, I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that McClellan is getting some getting some run, but uh, I think he has to. Right, they're they're going to have to figure out what they've got at the defensive tackle position if they're going to be successful. I agree. We all said in the last episode when we got to hear from Drevon Dexter and, and Sean Spencer, the best Drevon Dexter will be because somebody else shows up as well, uh, and you know, to, to, to give him help there up front. Uh, Go Gators for Life uh, says or ask any new info in the linebacker room besides Miller. Who do you feel confident with on the field? Is Wingo going to live up to his star ranking this year? Well, remember that star ranking came from him playing a lot of edge in high school, not necessarily linebacker, so still fitting in that transition. I've heard some good things about Derek Wingo. It has looked better uh, so far this spring, uh, of course, getting there, uh, coached there by Bateman uh, this spring. But the big standout so far, Will, has been the one black. He's been a turnover machine, creating turnovers there at the linebacker position so far this spring. Of course, everybody's going to be like, yep, see, told you, he needed to be on the field, and that's what everybody's been screaming over the one black to, to find some playing time uh, in a Florida Gator defense and now it looks like he's getting that time a blessing in disguise Ventro Miller you know has that class uh, he's taken does not participate in practice on Tuesday or Thursdays only on Saturdays and look he's still nursing and, and coming back from an injury himself so it opens the door for somebody like the one black Derek Wingo and Scooby Williams as flashed at times this spring so far as well. So I think the linebacker position, here's some good things so far, definitely a position that needs some growth and, and will, I mean, just in 
Honestly, I mean, it's good to hear about turnovers and stuff. I want to see spring practice help. You know, what's the physicality <laughs> like of the of these linebackers? You know, if it, there's limited portions that we get to see. We don't get to see much of all that. You know, the eleven on eleven and, and going smash mouth football. We'll hopefully get to see some of that in the spring game. But getting in, getting to hear there's some turnovers being created by the one black. I mean, it just kind of just goes back to all that athleticism that we have been discussing about him for a couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and one of the things that I think was a criticism of Mullen and his staff was that they definitely erred towards the side of seniority, right? And so you get a guy, even like Diabate and Hopper had more seniority than Black considering when he came into the program. Same thing with Wingo. And, you know, I, I think there was a lot of potential with Hopper and a lot of potential as well with Diabate, but the results weren't there when you actually looked at their ability against the run. I mean, Florida's defense last year was awful uh, against the run. And so, um, you know, this is one of those where the unknown maybe is even better than the known, right? That, yeah. that the, the, I, I think that there's a consistency that's required at linebacker that maybe isn't required at other positions, right? You have to be in your gap. You have to trust that the other guy's going to be in his gap. So irrespective of being a turnover machine and being athletic and all that sort of stuff, the thing I look at is Ventral Miller and saying, is he going to be in the right gap? And I trust he's going to be in the right gap more than any of these other guys. And it really, even if you go to Amari Bernie, and again, we'll see whether Bernie's still on the roster when the spring's over. Cause like I said earlier, there's going to have to be some attrition somewhere. And, and so, you know, I don't know who those people are going to be, but um, you know, Bernie as well. Is he going to be in the right gap? Are they going to trust? Are they going to teach these guys to trust each other to do their job? Because I'll be honest, that's kind of what it looked like against LSU. Is it looked like nobody really trusted the other guy to do his job, which meant you always had a crease somewhere because yep. somebody was trying to do too much because somebody was trying to sort of cover for somebody else, and so all of a sudden you've got these big runs that are getting hit. And so you know, again, athleticism great. To one black, incredibly athletic. That's fine. But if he doesn't stay in the right gap, then it's not going to matter. And so I think there's going to be that balance this year between the young guys who haven't gotten a lot of playing time and maybe are more athletic and more talented and the older guys who are going to do their job. And the hope is, is that, you know, as the season progresses, you'll be able to sort of um, or even as the spring practice progresses, you'll be able to see guys who are really doing what they need to do. And to your point, the physicality, right, taking on that guard, the pulling guard in the hole and blowing up the play as opposed to trying to sneak around him and letting the running back sort of cut back in that crease. Those sorts of things as well are the types of things we'd want to see. So I'm actually excited to see this this group. I mean, you know, Chief Borders and Scooby Williams, very, very highly regarded. Same thing with Derek Wingo. And same thing with DeWan Black when he was coming to the program a few years ago. It, from a talent perspective in terms of what they showed in high school, these guys are all pretty high up there. And so the – the ceiling of what this linebacker group can be, especially when you get Shamar James coming into the fall, I think can be can be really, really good. But again, athleticism is is half the battle, if maybe not even half the battle. The <laughs> the the ability to make sure that you trust your teammates and you are where you say you're going to be and you do your job is far more important at linebacker most of the time. And I mean David Reese is a great example of this. The the older David Reese who uh you know, was starring back in what, 17, 18, and 19. Like that guy was the epitome of that, right? Not real fast side to side. Sometimes we'll get caught when he had to face a running back in coverage, but he was a linchpin to the defense. And when he went out early in that, uh, early in that 2018 year, we, we noticed, right? And that's kind of the thing I think that you sort of hope Ventral Miller brings to the defense. All right, we will keep it going here. JF Gator fan, as of right now, what is the running back rotation looking like? Great question. As a 
definitely a position that uh, is going to be counted on this fall here for the Gators. Looking like right now, open portions of practice, in order of what how kind of the carries are being distributed, Lorenzo Lingard, Montreal Johnson, then Demarcus Bowman, uh, kind of looking at it, asking around. Bowman, probably the most explosive, but also maybe right now the most inconsistent out there. That's not really necessarily a knock and a hit on him, uh, but kind of the early word there, Lorenzo Lingard, kind of the total package uh, right now, style, speed, Montreal Johnson, a little bit of a slow start from the transition to Louisiana to Florida, now coming around uh, and, and and looking like uh, a back that's you know, going to be a major contributor here uh, in, in this offense. Still, I think Florida has three really good backs. I think three backs they can really count on. Uh, a lot of it would be game planning, scheming for opposing defenses and, and how you want to use these backs in certain situations. Florida's got three good backs here, Will, uh, as uh, you know, halfway through spring ball. Um, and we'll, we'll see how it breaks out right now. But this is the position a lot of people just kind of been looking at as a, a, a with a talent profile that's pretty high up there and kind of shaking out right now to where look, there might be some kind of order. I don't know how much stock I'm putting in the order right now. No, I mean, I, I think the one thing that you can say is if Lingard is up there, then that probably means that he's healthy and that he's he's recaptured some of the explosiveness that he had before the knee injury that he suffered at Miami. And one of the things that I think you can absolutely, I, I think probably is true, is you get an injury like an ACL and it takes a full year. Right, you you see a lot. You see this a lot of times with running backs. They come back, they play for a year, but they don't have the same explosiveness. And then that next year is when they have the explosiveness. Well, that would have been last year for Lingard, but at that point, he's buried behind guys like Damian Pierce and Malik Davis and Naquan Wright, and you have to fight through three other guys. You would have had to be truly special to displace those guys. This year, it's a it's a fresh start with fresh guys. Billy Napier's never seen him before, and so um, I, I suspect that being fully healthy means that he's been able to take advantage of that. And, you know, you see, there were a couple of plays against Vanderbilt, I think it was two years ago, where I saw him take off, and you it just looked different when he when he busted through the hole. Now, didn't turn into giant runs or anything like that, but he had like four carries that year or something <laughs> like that. So you know, I'm excited to see what Lingard can do. I, I think the um, the burst that he showed back on tape when you look at him at Miami and he averaged like eight yards a rush his freshman year. You look at him on kickoff returns. Again, special teams is something that I stress. And I think Napier's going to stress as well. So these guys are probably going to be able to contribute there as well. I think he's comfortable with Montreal Johnson, but I don't think Montreal Johnson has the has the top end speed that either of those other two guys have. So you start thinking about, you know, what are you going to do? How are you going to split carries and where are you going to get big plays from? Because <laughs> we were joking earlier, kind of, about wide receivers and tight ends. Well, if you're not getting big plays from those guys, then the big plays are going to either have to come from the running back or the quarterback. Those are going to be the two options. And and the quarterback, I think we all know, can can make those big plays. The question will be who's going to help him out. And I think uh, Lingard and Bowman are probably the um, – but, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where if you need somebody to pick up the pass protection, you need somebody in there to absolutely run your scheme correctly, then Johnson is going to be a guy who's going to be able to do that. But from a pure talent perspective, I think Lingard and Bowman probably have the, have the edge there. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. 
Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, keep on going right here. Andrew Ruskin. Well, I'm about to kind of skip past this one a bit because this is something we do when we go our, our, our preseason predictions here. He says, who are the standout predictions this year from each of you on each side of the ball? That's usually something we do right before the season uh, there. But you know, maybe if I fast forward it to spring, these running backs, uh, I think, are definitely standing out, uh, standout predictions so far. We, I think probably spring game will look like that as well. Uh, and you go linebacker position from everything. I'm hearing Dewan Black been the standout right there uh, so far. But continue Andrew's question here. Who are our team leaders and are they the right people for that job? And Michael Martin also asked who we think will be the clear-cut leaders on this team. I still think, look, we're two and a half weeks into spring practice, about halfway through spring practice. Very tough to kind of tell who the leaders are going to be. Uh, Jervon Dexter did say in the media session last week that Anthony Richardson's kind of been that vocal leader ever since he stepped on campus, uh, and that has continued more and more. Uh, definitely going into this year as well. I see he is the guy uh, leading that quarterback battle right now and predicted to be the quarter, the, the guy leading the quarterback battle uh, into fall. So on offense, look, of course, you'd love your your, your quarterback to, to be a leader of some, more, some sort, either lead, leader by example, vocal leader, hopefully all those combined in some form or fashion. Uh, but, of course, yeah, I think you start looking at offensive line too, somebody like Richard Garage who has a lot of experience. It may be Osiris Torrance as well coming over from Louisiana, the experience he has. So a couple guys on offense that I'm looking at. Uh, on defense, I mean, Ventrell Miller is the, the obvious choice here. Uh, our trading as well. You know, I don't want to uh, brush aside him. Coaches are really high on trading right now in this defense and what they're asking him to do at the safety position uh, and being a leader as the, all the experience that he brings. Hopefully all that translates into better production from trading. But, Will, the, to me, those are some of the easy names that I think you can pinpoint for some of the leaders out there for the skater team. Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely true. I think some of the younger guys, though, guys like Donovan McMillan, guys like Jason Marshall, those are the guys who got on the field last year and showed something, in particular Marshall. Um, you know, those are the guys who I think are going to have to take the mantle from some of these guys, and maybe they'd be the quiet leaders, but the guys who actually really go out there and and sh- lead by example and buy in, because they're the guys who are going to be the big part of what Napier builds the next three, four, five years, as opposed to just this year. Um, Anthony Richardson, you already mentioned, he's the guy I think we, we've all pegged him as as the guy who's going to be the uh the 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 leader of this team moving forward and so that's critical but i'll tell you what the guys like griffin mcdowell and dante zanders and noah keeter those guys who are moving to tight end because that's what's best for the team not necessarily what's best for them um i think that's that's a form of leadership as well and i don't think we need to i don't think we should dismiss that right that that that's a personal sacrifice those guys are making right now to change positions and maybe it leads to more more uh, playing time for those guys but it might not at all right it might just be that they're filling a void until these guys who are hurt can get back and really they're losing opportunities and reps on the defensive side of the ball or at offensive line um when they make that sacrifice and i think those are things that the other players on the team will recognize and will pay attention to when those guys speak up because they've made that sort of sacrifice as opposed to some of these other guys who are who are starters and they need to be leaders but at the same time they haven't had to sacrifice their dreams and their position and their reps for the betterment of the team and I think those guys are probably people that are going to be looked at very favorably by both the staff and the players when it comes down to who contributed to helping this team be better this year I think I think we'll look and point at those guys I think Napier will too 
good point there. Well, I like I like that little angle there. All right, here we go. Kevin Conroy Scott will and all the way. He says hello from London. There we go. Gators breakdown listener from London. Uh, Kevin Conroy Scott. He goes, my question, and uh, this will be kind of hard to answer because maybe I'll have to ask Shane Matthews next time I ask him uh, or next time I see him about this. He goes, but my question is why does Shane Matthews think AR-15 isn't a good thrower of the football? I've heard other respected podcasters discuss AR-15 ability to see the field and processing time. Um, uh, Matthews says that AR-15 throws some balls in the right spot, but others not so much. And did it really take three days for Emory to move out of the top spot in practice and then transfer? Uh, answer that question quickly. I don't think he was in the top spot going into spring practice. So I think that was kind of a maybe writing on the wall uh, there. So that was from Kevin Conroy Scott, the first part of that. And kind of to extend that question right now as well, um, uh, that, uh, that one, Jackson, hopefully I said that right. Uh, what realistic shot does Anthony Richardson have at winning the Heisman? So there we go, Will. Some AR-focused questions. I'll get into uh, Delwan's um, second part of his question in just a second. But uh, AR-15, look, I don't, I don't know why Shane Matthews uh, thinks that. I'm not saying Shane Matthews is wrong or he shouldn't think that. Of course, we do need to see some improvement from Anthony Richardson, some more consistency from Anthony Richardson. I don't think he ever really played all that healthy last year once he got back in from that hamstring injury. So yeah, how does that affect things? And then going back to the knee injury as well, Will, and that could be a blessing in disguise somewhat. If we want to see Anthony Richardson become a better passer, and then, well, you know, if he's going to be limited in some fashion and not running all that much this spring because he doesn't really need to, he's going to need to stay focused and stay in the pocket and, and kind of build that part of his game a bit. You know, talking to Denny Thompson, uh, his quarterback trainer here in Jacksonville, things that, you know, those are things that he's worked on as well. And he's also went back to a bit of a throw motion he's more comfortable with because the last staff. Uh, and I think Garrick McGee tried to change some things with his mechanics that AR wasn't necessarily really comfortable with. Now they're going back to some more things about throwing the ball that he is comfortable with. Uh, he trained with uh, Tom, uh, Denny in a couple weeks uh, ago, the week before spring practice started uh, there. But I do think you know maybe even uh, the meniscus uh, surgery kind of maybe limiting him somewhat may be a blessing in disguise to kind of stay in that pocket a little bit and develop more as a pure passer. Yeah, I think so. I, I, look, I, I wrote something about the hope and the promise of Anthony Richardson a few, maybe a month or two ago, and it looked at sort of his attempt frequency and it looked at his success rate on different throws. And what you saw is something that was really odd for a right-handed quarterback, which is that he was far more successful throwing to his left than he was throwing to his right. He was far more successful throwing deep than he was throwing intermediate. And there were some worm burners that he threw, you know, one specifically I'm remembering against Kentucky and one against, uh, against LSU where the guy's open and the ball like ends up 15 yards short. And so when he really tried to rear back and put extra mustard on it, um, you could see some flaws in his mechanics. Now, when he was able to loft it up to the left-hand side of the field in particular, he was incredibly effective. And so I think, what we need to do is parse what do we mean by him being a good thrower of the football, right? So if you're saying, does he have perfect mechanics? I think the answer is no, right? He is not Tom Brady back there with like mechanics that he's honed over years where he's got some guy who's a throwing guru who's helped him modify his mechanics in a way where the ball always comes out perfectly and always ends up directly on, on path. However, 
I think if you ask, is he going to get through his progressions and throw to the right guy more often than Emory Jones did last year, I think there's evidence on tape that says that he will and that he'll get the ball out on time. And so you don't have to be perfect in terms of getting the ball to the guy if it's on time and it's to the guy who's in one-on-one coverage or the guy that the defense has left wide open. And so there was one play I'm thinking about against Georgia where he had a guy down the sideline who was open. And if he'd hit him directly in the numbers, he probably gains another 10 or 15 yards. Instead, he throws it just a little bit high and the guy has to jump up and sort of tiptoe the sideline and they gain 15 or 20 yards instead of gaining 30. And -hmm. those are the differences that I think you'll see in terms of, execution that if you had a guy like Kyle Trask it'd be right on his numbers but if you had a guy like Kyle Trask it wouldn't have as much mustard on it either when it comes out because I think Richardson definitely has a stronger arm um so you know look I I think it's you're never gonna have a perfect quarterback the question is what does he do well how do you put him in a position to take advantage of those things and then what can Billy Napier do to make Richardson's job easier and I think one of the things that we've talked about earlier is sort of these flood routes that they run and and those sorts of things to give them high mid low reads and and then you know you have a high mid low read and then the fourth read is run um you know that's one of the things I think that uh we'll be able to see a little bit more of this year and see whether Richardson can really embrace that and be successful with that but I think there's there was a lot of evidence to say last year that he almost always threw to the right guy Now, in some of the situations, because of his threat of running the ball, he got some pretty easy coverages to read. And when the game against Georgia happened, he did not get those same easy coverages because of what Georgia was able to do up front, and he struggled. And so as things get more complex, when you face teams that have had a full offseason to prepare, you know, example against Utah and and those sorts of things, the question will be as the defenses get more complex, is he able to do that? Look, I don't think he's the best thrower of the football. But I think he's going to be more accurate, especially on the deep passes than Emory Jones was last year. And to be honest, if you hit the explosive passes, I think you could miss some of the intermediate ones from time to time and still probably be okay. So I get a little bit what Shane Matthews is saying, but I also get what Denny Thompson is saying in terms of, um, you know, in, in terms of, hey, he's a work in progress. And, you know, they were trying to make mechanical changes. And I think there are mechanical changes that likely kind of need to be made. At the same time, if you look at him, it's interesting. When I went to the Alabama game last year, um, you saw Jones and Richardson both warming up and the ease with which AR was able to throw the ball downfield during warmups. And it was all sort of, his hips fired and then his arm came through. And so there was less sort of side to side torque and it felt like he was more accurate on a left and right perspective. And then when Emory Jones threw, it was a lot of his torso was turning. And so it felt like the ball came out with a little bit more zip, but the actual left to right was less accurate. And I think that's kind of what we saw last year is when it came to throw the ball deep. All right. You know, we missed by three feet or six feet or whatever it is because you got to torque it up so bad to get it downfield. Richardson's not going to have that issue. Realistic chance winning the Heisman will. I mean, they got to be Georgia. Right. I think the potential of Anthony Richardson probably is there. I'm I'm high on Anthony Richardson. So, I mean, I know a lot lot of you out there aren't that maybe even that high. They might be high, but maybe not that high. But a lot of Heisman talk also goes into team success. How much success uh, is the team around him going to have? What is win loss record going to have to do with it as well? Well, so I'll tell you this. I I think that Georgia was obviously really, really good last year, but that was because, in many cases, because of their defense. If Florida had a competent offense last year, 
I think they might even they might have given Georgia a run for it. I mean, Stetson Bennett was begging for that game to to be given to Florida. He threw a bad interception to Trevaz Johnson. I think it was Johnson before the the Richardson fumble that sort of turned the whole game. Obviously, the three turnovers there at the end of the first half completely shift the game. But what happens if those turnovers don't occur? Is it is it really three nothing or three three going into the half? Right. So I look at that and go, even though Florida got dominated, I think Florida deserved to get dominated in that game. There are there are flaws within Georgia's team, particularly at quarterback, that make me think teams can hang with them. And so, look, if Richardson comes out and has a couple of games like he did against South Florida last year, you know, where seven touches and averages like 38 yards per play or something, you know, but he does that for a full game for a couple of games, well, now you're going to get some hype, right? If you beat Utah to start out the season, you beat Kentucky, all of a sudden you're heading into that Georgia game with one loss or no losses, you're going to get a lot of hype realistic chances though you gotta be georgia right that, that's the reality if, if florida wins the east next year then anthony richardson has a real shot if florida doesn't win the east then no shot and i think most of us are all going to pick georgia to win the east to start the year so that tells you what we think about his chances of winning the trophy yep i mean i still think a lot of i mean i know i see i see q lee in there with the, with the comments still most of the time a lot of heisman voters will go by record uh, unless you just completely blow away everybody else with, with the competition, a la Tebow in 07. You know, of course, Florida's record wasn't the best, but you couldn't deny because I mean, there wasn't really anybody else to hand it to in, in 2007 with the way Tim Tebow was playing. You, you, you get, you're given the Heisman to Tim Tebow uh, with, with the way he was playing. You, you have to completely dominate, uh, and I think uh, competition uh, goes into it as well. Uh, especially when you have you know the the the, the Heisman profiles of uh, everybody that uh, is coming back in college football this year. There's a lot of eyes, especially at the quarterback position, uh, at, at you know for, for for the Heisman Trophy. Well, and if you look at it, I think Lamar Jackson's the only guy in the last decade, really. Well, Johnny Manziel in 2012. So Manziel and Jackson are the two guys who maybe didn't have national championship teammates but were able to win the Heisman Trophy. But if you go back, Bryce Young, Devontae Smith, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Derrick Henry, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, those are the other guys in the last decade who've won the Heisman Trophy, and all of those guys have at least played for a national championship. So, you know, to your point, um, it's oftentimes the best player on the best team. And that's sort of what the award has become at this point. Usually it's the best quarterback on the best team, which in some respects, I mean, I think Anthony Richardson's shot at winning the Heisman's a heck of a lot better than the running back on Alabama. I mean, because at the end of the day, it's the quarterback on the best team. So if Richardson can win some games, then he's got a better shot than, than you know, a defensive end. Because I, I think the best, <laughs> the, the, the best player in college football last year was a defensive end for Alabama. It was not Bryce Young. But, uh, yeah, that's the way the trophy goes. All right, here we go. Robert DeMonte, how realistic would it be to see Napier and the staff turn around the team and win the East? I feel like A&M had done the same thing. Uh, I feel like A&M has done the same thing Georgia did. It makes me feel like A&M will possibly be a machine if everything clicks. I'm assuming he means uh, you know, the step up in recruiting there. Um, same for us, I believe, with the discipline and buy-in from the team as a whole. Um, I don't know the timeline Robert's putting on this. I don't not sure he's putting it on this year. Uh, so we can kind of quickly uh, gloss by this right here. Um, I mean, you know, we'll see. We'll, I mean, there's a 
we'll get into it later on when we get to another uh, question uh, as well. But you know, we've seen uh, the kind of the process uh, of here. You know, Florida's going to always be able to get the talent of being able to compete for the SEC East. Uh, so you know, if recruiting is taken care of, Florida will compete with Georgia for the SEC East. If it's not, then we've kind of seen the way that story plays out <laughs> the, the, the last few years. Now, hopefully some, like you said, some more discipline, some better coaching, and you do not have a repeat, even if the recruiting level is not at the level it needs to be. You don't have a repeat of last year. You don't have, you don't fall flat on your face and, and lose the teams you shouldn't lose to. Now, that, that shouldn't have happened anyway, no matter what the talent profile Florida had. Uh, but, you know, eventually um, – I was excited about the hire, and you know, well, I know there's another question coming up that's not so positive <laughs> for for the the, the the talk of Billy Napier. So we can extend it there, uh, but well, you know, just the per- first part of that question: How realistic would it be to see Napier and the staff turn around the team and win the East? I mean, I, I, I'm not thinking that means this year, but if, I, I if it does, I don't see it this year. I'll be honest; I, I don't see a, that much of a turnaround in year one. No, nah, I mean, I think this year it's pretty unlikely. Um, I think you'd have to hit on, you know, I, I think Anthony Richardson have to win the Heisman Trophy. I think that's yeah. kind of what you're going to need in order to win the East this year because the East has a team like Georgia in it. And, you know, Stetson Bennett, for all of his flaws, is going to be able to manage the 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 problems. And I think Georgia is going to have the talent to reload in some respects. Now, maybe Georgia gets clipped once or twice because, you know, that happened to Alabama very early on in the Saban era era. They'd win the national championship the next year. They'd lose a couple of games. They'd lose to Auburn. They get clipped someplace else along the way. They'd lose two. And then, you know, Auburn and make it to the SEC championship game. That, that, possibility exists that they might take a little bit of a step back especially on the defensive side of the ball but uh, that step back is still going to probably be pretty equivalent to where florida is both from a talent perspective and from an on-field and experience perspective right because you're trying to catch up to where georgia is and all those guys who are freshmen and sophomores who didn't play still have more time in kirby smart system than any of the guys have in billy napier's system so you're going to have to play catch up quite a bit there i, I think and we'll um, and for an sec schedule georgia again has a pretty quote unquote easy SEC schedule. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think um I, I think there's gonna be some pain, right? Before before the before the actual eventually the things turn. And you know, the hope is is Napier can get it turned. I think we'll talk about that in the next in the next question. You know, whether or in one of the questions is whether he can get this turned around. I mean that's the big question. But if we're talking about next year, I think next year is a is a you know I'm in research and development. That's what I do for my life, and you know you got to spend money sometimes to do the research, and sometimes it doesn't all work out, and sometimes you learn something along the way, and you make changes, and you you chart a different path, and all those sorts of things. And I think that's kind of what Napier is going to be doing in this first year is seeing who's bought in, seeing who does what what he needs to what he needs, see where does he need to make replacements. There's going to be transfers who come in that we don't even know about right now. Um, you know, so if, if all of a sudden you got two tight end transfers and a wide receiver who's explosive who come in because they were unhappy with their playing time somewhere or just decided they wanted to transfer to Florida, maybe the offense looks different. But I think the reality is that most of the time, the big step up for these guys comes in year two. Mm-hmm. And so if you ask me, is Napier going to win the East this year? I'd say the chances are pretty low. If you ask me, is Napier going to win the East next year? I'd say there's a distinct possibility. If he is who we think he is, that he'll be able to do that. And then year three, usually teams take a little bit of a step back. And then year four, they take a big step forward. 
And it just so happens that Saban kind of took his big step in or took a step in year three, then took a step back in year four and then a big step in year five. So maybe that's the same path that Napier would take. But we're going to have to see some pretty big steps early. It's just not going to be year one. All right, quickly, we can get through this one. B.J. Jones, have we heard or seen anything on punt return, kick return? I haven't seen much, uh, honestly, uh, in in the open sessions. I think in a video Florida has sent out, I still saw Xavier Henderson, I believe, returning a kick or punt. So but it was a quick flash of a highlight. Uh, the name he brings up, does Finley Graham have a true shot to see the field at either both of those, either or both of those spots? I'd say yes, but also Finley Graham. Um, especially today, um, catching some passes there uh, at, at the wide receiver position as well. So, well, I know you brought up maybe one of the running backs uh, as well, especially uh, Lorenzo Lingard. Maybe he can show his speed there. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, with depth concerns there this spring, how much you have those guys there. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. That, that uh, I think, will be kind of taken care of uh, later. Uh, let's go to the next one, Will. Joseph uh, Pisani. Knowing Will and his statistics, I'm curious how much coaching matters versus talent. Can coaching overcome a lack of talent, or are we looking at years of rebuilding before being competitive? We kind of just answered that one, uh, assuming Billy can close on these recruits. Um, So, I mean, we've asked ourselves that question the last few years, coaching matter versus talent. That was kind of the Dan Mullen versus Kirby Smart (laughs) argument for a few years. And I think we see, you know, Talent outweighs coaching. Uh, that's why we, we we harp so on it. That doesn't mean you doesn't need, you don't need coaching. It doesn't mean you don't need development. But step one is going shopping for the groceries and getting the groceries out there, Will, and, and putting them in, you know and putting them on your team. So um, that question was kind of uh, pinpointed at you there, Will. Yeah, I mean, the assumption there is that the other programs aren't doing any development at all, right? That they just bring right. these guys in and then go, eh, we'll just throw, roll the ball out there. And let. Uh, and that's not the way that works, right? Because one of the ways that those recruiting machines work is that they churn guys into the NFL. And that's one of the ways that they sort of perpetuate the recruiting machine. And, and so, like, I think Saban is a unique blend of having really, really good schemes, being able to make adjustments, being self-aware enough to change when he needs to, and then uh, – and then putting those schemes in place. I think the reality is, is most coaches are going to be one bent or the other, right? Kind of like you think about Will Muschamp and his struggle on offense. I mean, one of the reasons why that's so um, poignant is because he's a defensive coach to start with, right? And, and that's where he recruits. And that's you have him as a defensive coordinator. He's great. You put him as a head coach, he's going to struggle. I think the same thing can be said for a lot of these guys, right? You bring in a guy like Dan Mullen. I think if Dan Mullen was the offensive coordinator, we'd be pleased with it, right? The problem is when he's the, when he's the head recruiter, um, you don't get necessarily what you need. Kirby Smart is the head recruiter, puts all kinds of energy and effort into it, has seen the results. And um, again, I, I think I think what I've seen on the field, in fact, what I saw in that national championship game on the field is Smart had an opportunity to give that game away and and really tried. And his players were, were just better that day. And I think if uh, if Mechie and uh, Jamison Williams have been on the field, I think Alabama probably wins that game. Um, so I think coaching absolutely has something to do with the end results. But, you know, when you're playing South Carolina or Kentucky or Missouri, you kind of can just roll the ball out there if you have significantly better players. And what Florida has seen in the last few years is when you're not significantly better than the other team. And when you don't have somebody breathing down the neck of the guy who's the starter at all times, because there's just this 
constant sort of culture of competitiveness and, and competition, that that's when it really starts to rear its ugly head, right? Because you get comfortable in the role you've got. You maybe don't prepare the way you should in a game, for a game against Missouri, and all of a sudden at 11 in the morning you're getting hit in the mouth and, and you lose a game you shouldn't. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, we've been saying this for years, right? That the, the – t- and it's not a coincidence that when you look at talent profile, look at team rankings, look at records – the three teams with the best best record in in all of college football are the ones that are one two three in the in the recruiting every year and and so I I actually don't put a lot of hope in in the coaching beyond just right around the edges right when you get in that playoff and you need to pull out the win I think one of the things you can say a lot of stuff about Urban Meyer but I think one of the things you can say is he was an excellent tactician once he got on the field and I do think that it, it's not a coincidence that Florida won a bunch of games in 2006 that maybe they shouldn't have. I also don't think it's a coincidence they always beat their rivals. I don't think it's a coincidence that I had the utmost confidence in that guy when he got to the championship game that Florida was going to roll the other team. Um, and, you know, I think there were a lot of people who felt like Ohio State was going to dominate in 2006. And then Florida goes out and absolutely blows them out of the water. Right? I think there were some people who were nervous about whether Florida was going to be able to stop that Oklahoma offense, and they completely shut them down. And I think a lot of that has to do with the coaching acumen of Urban Meyer. And one of the things, once you get there, can you take advantage of it? But in terms of, um, in terms of what's most important, I mean, I think we all sort of agree and have seen that the Jimmys and the Joes make a big difference. Yep. Uh, talking about Jimmys and Joes, Will, I'll let you answer this one because I know where, I think I know where you're going because of a conversation we did have. What position group is the most important success to Tony's defensive scheme? I'll let you start there because I know. Uh, you and I had a conversation about that, mainly because of those RPO offenses and uh, how you see a certain uh, position grouping being able to help in that regard. It's safety. I mean, the 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 ability to have a guy who can come up and help and run support, but then can also cover and be physical is critical to what he's trying to do. Because if you think about it, the creepers and the simulated pressures and all that sort of stuff, typically zone blitzes are you take a guy in the level one, right? It's the defensive line and you drop him and you bring a guy from level two. Well, if you can integrate the safeties into that, now you can bring a guy from level three and potentially drop a guy back into level two or level three. And so you need a lot of versatility to be able to do that sort of stuff. And so your safeties have to be able to recover and you have to have a second safety who has the ability to cover for the mistakes of the guys who quite honestly are less athletic when they drop into coverage. And so especially in the world of RPOs where the offense is really set up to not be able to lose if the quarterback makes the right decision. You can't have situations where you hit a five-yard slant that goes to the house, right? The safety has to be able to make that tackle, has to be able to close that gap, has to be athletic enough to come up and turn that into an eight-yard gain, and then you're sitting there third and two rather than, you know, rather than a 40-yard gain and you're back to fresh set of downs, the crowd's taken out of the game and you're worried about whether you're going to give up another seven. So that to me is, is, is pretty obvious. And it's one of the reasons why they've targeted safeties and defensive backs in general for extensively, right? I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a coincidence that the top three corners in, in 2023 are all huge priorities for this team, because if you can get, if you can lock down those corners and have a guy like, and, and really even have, um, a couple of those guys have profiles where they might be able to to help out with safety a little bit as well. Um, you start doing that, and that defensive back room looks a lot stronger. You're going to be able to do a lot up front. And quite honestly, you can make some mistakes up front, and those guys on the back end are going to be able to help you out. 
Yeah, well, one more kind of going to that safety, and you and you kind of related it to those simulated pressures, creepers, and all that. You know, if that guy from the second level is blitzing mainly that nickel or corner, you got to have a safety that'll rotate down and be able to cover <laughs> that slot receiver at the same time. Sorry, uh, I don't know what that is. I've, I've <laughs> never, I have not seen that for the last three or four years. I do not know what that is. <laughs> we forgot. We have forgotten. Uh, yeah, but you got to have the safety that'll rotate down and be able to cover that slot receiver when that nickel guy wants to go in for it to be that creeper and, and create that simulated pressure there to, to be that fourth rusher uh, at, at times. So you got to have safeties that you know can cover like corners uh, when they're taking over for a cornerback. So that is another part of it. And we'll uh, I'll extend it one more before we get to the last question here. You know, I, I also want to see. And, and, and it's partly because they were so good at it at Louisiana and Florida has struggled there. Uh, and that's the biggest part. I think a lot of people want to see the jumping production from Britton Cox is setting the edge there at defensive end, setting the edge there at outside linebacker. So I think that's another important piece to this Patrick Tony defense because they were so good at it. They were so disciplined there at Louisiana. That that's just you know, Britton Cox got the sack numbers up last year. He was a factor in getting to the quarterback. Now we need that next step. Now we need the 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 progression of his game before he goes off to the NFL to 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 be able to go set the edge and, and be a, a a reliable player out there on the field in run support and rushing the passer. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think I mentioned it earlier that that we're losing Zachary Carter, and so there are going to have to be guys who who step up. I think Cox is a big part of that. I think the reality is is that the entire defensive line is going to have to set the edge and going to have to be more disciplined, and there's going to have to be consequences for guys who don't. And for two years now, we've seen guys make mistakes and stay in the game. I mean, you know, yeah, the, there was a Will Smith meme going around that Marco Wilson had retweeted today, or that Marco Wilson had put up today about like you know that that's his reaction when people ask him about throwing the shoe but that's our reaction when we saw him in the game <laughs> after he threw the shoe right is that there there was not the appropriate discipline for those types of mistakes because those are stupid mistakes those are mental errors you can you can tolerate physical mistakes right somebody gets beat somebody you know takes the wrong angle those sorts of things are things that are going to happen it's the mental mistakes that drive you crazy when you're a coach and so when those mental mistakes happen which includes setting the edge that's when you really hope that that the staff is going to hold people accountable so um, maybe more so than just a specific player that would be the thing i'd be looking for is is when someone makes an obvious mistake do you see his replacement come in? Is there a consequence for the fact that those sorts of things happen? And, and uh, you know, the spring game is actually a good place to do that, right? Because <laughs> you don't necessarily – there's no consequence for taking the more talented guy off the field. It just sort of uh, um, you know, just, just sort of indicates that this is the way things are going to be. All right, last one here, and look, this was the last one I got to, so I wasn't saving just a neg. I wasn't saving the negative one for uh, the, the the last. It's just I, I pretty much went in order of the the way I got the questions. Uh, so Chris Potter Chris Potter sends uh, the honeymoon is over with the rescheduling of the spring games. So I know not a lot of people are happy about that, and then goes on, how is anything Billy is doing any different than other coaches that have done it the past two decades? Why would we expect different results? We are Florida. We are going to hit ferociously on defense and air it out. That is the identity. We're faster. We hit harder and we score more. Why are we at Florida trying to copy slash steal someone else's plan to win or process? Is this really what the bigger money boosters are asking for? Go get us a Kmart Saban. So 
a lot to unpack there, uh, but we'll try to, to, to unpack it quickly here. Um, I don't know if Billy Napier is any different than, than the coaches who come from that Saban tree of, uh, of a Jim McElwain and a Will Muschamp. I mean, Will Muschamp was a, thought to be that young up-and-comer, learn from Nick Saban. Well, we saw how that turned out. We saw how the Jim McElwain uh, era turned out at Florida. I don't know Billy Napier is any different. I do like the process. I do like the foundation. Uh, but you know, just because it didn't work out with past Saban assistance doesn't mean it won't work out with Billy Napier. And it doesn't mean it'll work out just because he is taking a lot of the good parts from, from a Nick Saban and a some, somewhat Kirby Smart uh, 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 way of doing things uh, as well. You know, I'd, I know a lot of people want to see the, the, the fun and gun. And I'll, look, Spurrier's fun and gun wouldn't be that successful in college football right now either. I mean, they should, the game has changed. Spurrier was able to use Florida speed. But while SEC defenses were catching up, the game, had, he, he, he caught Teams by, by, by surprise at, at that point. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do agree you do need to use Florida speed. And I don't think, um, you know, just because we saw Billy Napier run the balls 55, 60% of the time doesn't mean he can't adjust, won't adjust at, at Florida at the same time. Now, don't get me wrong, I do agree with uh, going to hit ferociously on defense. Florida should always have a good defense. I mean, Florida's got too many athletes. Florida recruits too good on that side of the ball to see what we have seen the last couple of years on defense. That's why we're so frustrated with the defense. Florida's always supposed to have a good defense. That's supposed to be a default uh, for a Florida Gator team. So, look, a lot of teams are trying to steal the Nick Saban model because it works, Will. And then that, that's why. Now, it is a Nick Saban model. He is the, the alpha uh, out there. Kirby Smart's been able to replicate it pretty well, but I don't fault anybody for trying to copy what Nick Saban is trying to do. Uh, I, I laughed out loud at the Kmart Saban crack just because, <laughs> I mean, it's like you're not even calling him Walmart. You're calling him Kmart. You're like, you've already declared bankruptcy and no one wants to go and visit your store. Um, you know, you've got like, what is it like? Um, people of Walmart where they post the sad pictures of people who are there and like Kmart's like one step below that. So my, my initial reaction is, is that we already know Billy's different because he doesn't have Kirby's Kmart haircut. So that, that's, that's sort of my first reaction. Um, I think I think we have to say compared to what, right? I think this is really important. When you bring somebody in, it's compared to what? And we knew what Dan Mullen brought. He brought an offensive mind that probably is unmatched in college football when it comes to really being able to get the most out of his personnel. I think Emory Jones struggled last year, but I don't think that's a reflection on Dan Mullen when you saw what he does with when you saw what he did with Felipe Franks, saw what he did with Kyle Trask. You saw some struggles with Emory Jones, but I think if you gave him another year with Emory Jones, Emory Jones probably would have been a lot better this year. Would he have been good enough? Eh, probably not. Now, the the thing is, is though we knew what he was from a recruiting perspective. He was 10th, 11th, 12th. And you knew he was going to get his butt handed to him on the recruiting trail by Kirby Smart. So you bring in, or by Kirby Smart and by Nick Saban. So you bring in somebody who knows Saban's policies, who knows the Southeastern Conference, who understands what he's doing. Okay, I get that. The other thing is, is that Napier has been very clear when you go and look at him talk. When you, you know, you would, um, there was some coach tube stuff we went over with where he was talking through his, his sort of process and schematics and thought process and all those sorts of things. And he was very quick to say, I got this from my stop in Arizona. I got this from my stop at Clemson. I got this from this other coach here and, and that sort of stuff. So I think he took things from Saban, just like all of us take things from people who come before us and people who teach us things and say, I think he does that well. Well, I think he does that. I would do that differently because I have a different personality. And that's going to be the trick. I, I think you, um, 
if you try to mimic Saban, if you try to be Saban, you're going to have problems. If you try to be Billy Napier, then I think you're probably going to be okay. The other thing is, is that I do actually think that things are different. So I'm, I'm going to write about this later this week, but um, one, so Texas tech and Arkansas are currently second and third in the 24 seven sports composite. And the reason is not because they have a, a number of high level players committed. They've got a decent number of players, but it's because they're the only two teams right now that have double digit guys in their class. And so Florida, the minute they start signing guys, you're going to rocket past the hogs and the red Raiders when it comes to the overall recruiting ranking. I would be willing to bet the Texas Tech and Arkansas both end up in the 18 to 23 range overall when the dust settles at the end of the year, unless there's some weird NIL stuff that goes on that improves their classes from here on. What so if you look back, number one at this time a year ago. Yeah, well, that worked out well. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, same thing though, right? I mean, you look at their average yeah. player ranking; it was around like 90, and you go, "Oh, that's going to end up 14th," and you know that's kind of where it ends up. It turns out that your average player ranking is more important, especially this time of year, than the number of guys you've got committed. So, if Napier can get two or three more guys to commit right now, then he's going to be fine as long as their guys like. Um, you know, as long as they're, they're guys like Cormani McLean and that sort of stuff, you look at his average ranking, you go, okay, this is really good. The problem is, is that when the, the problem with Mullen, and I wrote this back in April of 2018, where I was already criticizing his class, is he had seven guys signed, six of them were three stars, ranked between 400 and 946th, and then they had one four star, ranked 365th. So basically, he was sitting there and he had already filled out his class with guys who were lower level recruits for his bump class and then was going to have to hit on absolutely everybody to put together that top three class. Napier isn't there yet, right? He hasn't made those commitments to the three-star guys or even the low four-star guys. He's courting these guys who are really, really high. So if you look at Urban Meyer's big time class in 2006, it's interesting. 20 of 24 guys committed after the season started that year. So his 2006 class, 20 of the 24 guys committed after, after September when, when it kicked off in, in 2005. And the most of those guys came in December, but the four who did commit early were Siobhan Walker, Carl Johnson, Dustin Doe, and Corey Hobbs. That's three four stars and a five star. They had an average 24 rating of 93.9. So very, very high level players. That is indicative of a top three class. Lo and behold, Percy Harvin commits December 19th. Tim Tebow commits December 13th. Brandon Sp Spikes commits January 7th. And all of a sudden, Meyer had everything he needed to build this Florida program into what he needed to build. So, look, I, I'm not going to tell you that Napier is going to bring in that kind of class. I don't know. What I will tell you is he hasn't taken steps towards building in a poor class like Jim McElwain or like Dan Mullen did in their second class, where it wasn't necessarily – it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't top three. And I think there's an opportunity here if, if you start to build that momentum. And we're not really going to know until until August or September. But in August or September, we're going to know because the average player rating is going to be like 93 or 94, or it's going to be 90. And if it's 90 in September, I'm going to be saying, yeah, this is just like the previous administration. If it's 94, I'm going to say, well, we're sitting there pretty, right? Because there are going to be more guys coming in December, and the guys coming in December are going to have very similar profiles to the guys who've already signed. And that just shows up year after year after year after year. So from a recruiting perspective, you know, I, I, and a process perspective, these guys on campus, I know people got upset about the sunglasses. I know people are a little bit upset about the, the spring game. Um, you know, but – 
I, I don't think that proves or disproves anything from Napier's perspective. I'm not like, oh yeah, Billy Napier's absolutely the guy because of everything I've seen thus far. But I'm not ready to say Billy Napier's not the guy because of the things I've seen thus far. And I'll be honest, in April of 2018, I was pretty close to saying I didn't think Mullen was going to be the guy based on what we were seeing on the recruiting trail already. And that, that sort of proved to be true over the four years. There we go. Loaded questions from Gators Breakdown Plus members. Thank you so much. Short notice. Uh, got both sides of the spectrum there before, when it was all said and done. Uh, <laughs> there. So hopefully, hopefully uh, it is, uh, you know, those things he does take from Saban uh, pays off. Those things he is known for himself uh, pay off as well. Uh, but everybody, thank you so much for being Gators Breakdown Plus members and, and, and sending us those questions. You guys can sign up. You get, like I said, the popular Discord server. Um, great discussion going on there, recruiting, football, all the other sports as well, extra episodes uh, there. So uh, while we tease that, we'll also tease, Will, what you got coming up at uh, Read Reaction? Yeah, so I have an article talking about the – I'm actually going to load it up right after we get done here. So um, it's going to be looking at Anthony Richardson and sort of the the start of that era now that Emory Jones has transferred out. I think there's some really interesting uh, – I think there's some really interesting statistics in terms of red zone efficiency between Jones and, and Richardson that should give people some hope and sort of explain some of the offensive futility that Florida had last year because it's interesting. The underlying stats actually weren't that bad. And then, like I mentioned, I'm going to be looking at recruiting um, and sort of outlining what I sort of started there with some of where Urban Meyer was and and the comparisons and sort of understanding where does Napier sit? And what should we expect to see in April, May, and June? And what does that mean moving forward? All right, hoping, hoping April's a big month there on the recruiting trail. All these uh, March visits uh, pay off uh, there as Florida leads up to the spring game. So hopefully um, some uh, some action as far as actual commitments happen uh, starting in April. So there we go, Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, ReadAndReaction.com. Listen to their podcast on YouTube, Read and Reaction. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.